The EU begins enforcing GDPR in less than 30 days. Are organizations ready? Also, what are the top 10 online threats facing organizations? These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Who's ready for GDPR? Europe adopted its new General Data Protection Regulation on April 27, 2016. GDPR will require organizations that handle Europeans' personal data to safeguard it. Among other provisions, it also requires organizations to notify authorities whenever they suffer a significant data breach. To give organizations time to comply with the new privacy regulation, EU lawmakers set a two-year deadline of May 25, 2018. But with that deadline now fast approaching, it's not clear how many organizations will be prepared. And anyone that fails to comply with GDPR faces fines of up to 20 million euros or 4% of their annual profits, whichever is greater. Michelle Dennity, Vice President and Chief Privacy Officer at Cisco, says she's had the opportunity to work with many different organizations across many different sectors who are seeking GDPR compliance. There's where in the world and there's where in the sectors. And I see preparedness and vast unpreparedness in, in those sectors. The U.S. is a fascinating place. So the rise of the privacy officer really began here in the U.S., despite our still not having a federal level of data protection regulation. So we have our sectoral rules and things, but we have a lot of operational players on the field doing good data governance and, and really leaning into the innovation. Some organizations are ready, but others still don't have their act together, Dennity says, based on what she's been seeing and hearing in recent weeks. Lots of recruiting calls. Someone called me up just last week and said, hey, we need you to set up a data protection program. We got to get ready for GDPR. I said, you need Xanax in a box. It depends, my friend. You're not going to be ready by May. I can get you ready over time and we'll help you do that at Cisco. But it's not too late to start because you got to start. But we are seeing that kind of like, oh, gosh, I've been waiting to watch what my colleagues are doing. In the UK, the top GDPR enforcer is privacy watchdog Elizabeth Denham, a Canadian who's now the UK's information commissioner. She says that any organization that needs to comply with GDPR should not fixate on the May 25th deadline since compliance isn't a one-time thing. GDPR is not the millennium bug. It's not something that organizations that your business needs to think about as a point in time, all this work that you need to do for a point in time, it's an evolution. Your companies need to prepare for it and they need to change practices over time, identify risks that you are creating for others and put into place measures that mitigate this. So this, this is an evergreen process and we don't look at it as a point in time requirement. For the first time, GDPR will bring into force a data breach notification requirement for any organization worldwide that stores Europeans' personal information and then loses control of it, for example, via a data breach. Denim says this breach reporting requirement is meant in part to help others. When I talk to audiences at conferences, when I talk to colleagues around the world, everybody is focused on the fines. And on the positive side, it does get the attention, the new law is getting the attention at the boardroom level. And maybe that is because of the higher sanctions and fines. 
But this law isn't about fines. It's about incentives to get organizations, to get businesses to step up and take responsibility for the data that is so much a part of our digital world. So it's, this is not a backroom, back office issue anymore. This is about people's data and they have to take it seriously. Now, don't get me wrong, the UK advocated with other European member states for higher fines. And I think they are important to get companies to step up and take their responsibilities seriously. Denim recommends organizations don't fixate on GDPR's fines, but rather on the need to protect people's personal information in a transparent and sustainable manner. As a regulator, we still prefer the carrot to the stick, but if organizations are playing fast and loose with people's personal information, then we will not be afraid to use our finding power. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Next, ISMG's Jeremy Kirk talks about the push to adopt deception technology, as well as how experts recommend the technology be deployed for best effect. How do you catch hackers in the act? Set up a fake network and see what flies land on it. Numerous cybersecurity startups are taking the honeypot concept to a more elaborate scale with a new name, deception technology. But are the solutions as effective as promised? Deception technologies can provide very high fidelity alerts in that there are no false positives. Someone lurking in a bogus network is surely up to no good. The clues around the hacker's methods can buy defenders more time to make sure legitimate assets are protected. But some analysts say deception tech doesn't detect if hackers are already in the real network. And making use of the information a deception product provides requires a team capable of interpreting it and taking action. Otherwise, a deception system is just another tool to monitor in an already crowded, alert-heavy environment. Josh Zalonis is a senior analyst with Forrester. He says if an attacker seizes on a decoy file, it's definitely a sign something suspicious is afoot. If all of a sudden that file gets encrypted, then all of a sudden you might be looking at a ransomware situation. But but again, the the important thing to understand is that deception technology is really good at telling you that something bad is going on, and that's it. Zalonis says for deception tech to be successful, an adversary has to trigger the deception capability. Plus, an adversary in the real network may not branch out into the fake one. Zalonis again. So if the stars align and you're pulling something out of your network based on this, then it's probably great. But the majority of clients that I, that I talk to, the, the vast majority aren't really interested in it at this point. And, and the ones who have, haven't had success. Venture capitalists, however, have been strongly interested in deception. For example, Strategic Cyber Ventures, a Washington-based firm, has invested in TrapX, which is based in San Jose, California. Strategic Cyber Ventures co-founder and CEO Hank Thomas says there's value, albeit a hard-to-measure value, in distracting adversaries and wasting their time. But he says that deception has to be integrated into a broader security strategy to get the most out of it. I think the people that haven't seen value in it are the ones that deployed deception as an afterthought and they sprinkled it around their network like a minefield and it was a very poorly placed minefield. The limited companies that have actual broad security strategies are finding a lot of value in it. There are a bevy of startups in the deception space offering standalone products. 
There's a belief that deception will eventually become a feature in larger security suites, and experts expect acquisitions in the space. Rick Turner is a principal analyst based with Ovum. He says deception will likely become an offering for managed service providers or managed security service providers. That could be positive for smaller organizations looking to use the technology. Once, the, once deception starts getting into the MSP and MSSP community, and that's not that far away, by the way. I would say at that point, it should become available then to a much larger uh, community of enterprise users. In as much as smaller companies will then be able to take this as a managed service, which is probably what you're going to want if you don't have a very big security team. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. One notable user of deception technology is Shannon Leitz, the director of DevSecOps for financial software giant Intuit. Leitz also heads the company's red team, which is a group of in-house white hat hackers. Their job is to hammer away at a company's systems, looking for and helping to fix flaws before outside attackers can find and exploit them. To help, Leitz tells me that when she took over Intuit's threat hunting team last year, she wanted to better understand the real world tactics, techniques, and procedures, or TTPs, being used by hackers against Intuit. We had a really good practice already, but because we were trying to make Red Team really aggressive and get ahead of adversaries, we realized that we needed even better threat intel. And so I woke up one morning and said, all right, how are we going to really do this? What's the science behind it? And we put together an experiment practice around this. We've um, set up honeypots. We have some deception in the honeypots. We work against the adversaries to really think about what are they doing? What are their TTPs? How do we catalog adversaries? How do we think about their motivations? What is it that they're trying to do? or applications and really taking that information and playing it back out. So what we learned over the course of the last year is that our top 10 from the bad guys was actually a really different top 10 than the ones we were seeing from OWASP. Leet says that much of what she sees in the wild does map to the OWASP top 10 list of critical web application security risks, which is a list that's curated by multiple security experts. The top threat on OWASP's list is injection attacks. Based on the volume of injection attacks she's seeing in the wild, however, I asked Leitz if network defenders would do well to break out these different types of injection attacks and specifically focus extra effort on defending against them individually. Yeah, I think so. I think that it, as more organizations mature their application security practices and they really think about things like cataloging their adversaries, you know, one of the things that we learned was there's a lot of scanners out there, there's researchers, there's a bunch of people who are doing paid noise um, and they're working with advanced adversaries. As we kind of cataloged those, we saw differences too in the way that they were applying some of the things that they were attacking, what targets they were going after. So I think that being more um, science-driven driven, being more specific, taking in a lot of data. You know, we've got petabytes of data at our disposal, and that's really kind of changed our game. And then up-leveling, you know, one of the things that's great is being able to get to the point where you could even start naming your adversaries, knowing exactly where they're coming from, being able to trace their TTPs, looking into the dark web, getting marketplace data, and really kind of understanding those TTPs, how they're looking at you from the outside in, and kind of getting ahead of them. It's almost like a sport and a game. I got to say, it's really made it much more fun to practice some of these things at Intuit because of that. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Catch you next time. Mm-hmm.